2: Welcome into Locked On Knicks. This is Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here with you as usual. But this is a very special crossover episode. Gavin, we are doing a crossover with Knicks Film School that includes Jonathan Macri and Jeremy Cohen. And the first episode of this already aired on the Knicks Film School page uh, or their podcast feed. And now we're doing the second and third episodes where we are getting into our bold predictions for the 2020 to 21 season.
1: Yeah i i don't want to I don't want to spoil them, Alex, because they're they're really good. But I'll, I'll give some hints. Uh, mine involves Frank Ntilikina, maybe playing in the playoffs this year. Uh, take from that what you will. Uh, Jeremy's centers around trading for a big name um, in a surprising timeline. Macri, uh, we got we got a bold Emmanuel quickly uh, prediction. He is he is particularly bullish on what quickly could potentially do this year. And do you want to preview yours? Because I we recorded yesterday and I honestly forgot it.
2: Yeah, mine. <laughs> mine has to do with Kevin Knox uh, and and something about Kevin Knox that you would previously never ever say about him. And I, I won't spoil what it is. You just have to listen to the show. So we will get into that. In just a second, on Locked On Knicks in this very special Locked On Knicks Knicks Film School crossover.
3: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five, going for the rim. Yes. left, now fires a three. He's he good, and he's he fouled. For three. Five! That one goes
3: down. Back up off the glass. It's good. LJ infectious.
2: All right, welcome into Locked on Knicks. As we mentioned, I mean, we've kind of been pumping it up all week. And then we told you about it in the intro. And now you're hearing about it again. This is our very special preseason Locked on Knicks, Knicks Film School crossover episode or episodes. Uh, The first part actually came out on Knicks Film School today. And this is the second part. And we're going to have a third part where we do even more bold predictions uh, I am Alex Wolf. You can find me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf. I'm the editor in chief of the Strickland. He's Gavin Shaw. You know him already. Uh, he is a uh, play-by-play broadcaster by day, and his uh, Batman role is being the Locked On Knicks co-host by night. And then we're of course joined by the Knicks Film School folks themselves. We have Jonathan Macri. You can find him on Twitter at JC And what's the new what's the new Twitter handle, Macri? Is it Knicks School? Oh my goodness. You're putting uh, me on yeah. the spot. I, I forgot. it is, no, it is Nick. It is Nick School. Yeah. I can never quiz you on your own Twitter handles. You don't even know your own. Um, at Nick School on Twitter, you could follow. And Jeremy Cohen, uh, the co host of the Nick's Film School podcast, at The Coincidence on Twitter, who you might remember was on here, I don't know, like a week and a half ago. So, what's up, guys? How are you guys doing? And you're ready to get into some more bold predictions? Let's do it. All right, I'm Oops. I'm
4: I'm just excited to um to continue to say takes that make me hate myself.
2: Yeah,
1: Alex, okay. I'm excited to see your order methodology. For anyone who's heard the next film school pod, we we John picked a number um and we guessed that at ten. So is it is it similar? Is it more
2: intricate? What uh, what we're doing? I was about to just one up him and say pick a number between one and twenty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got my number in mind between one and twenty. Go, uh, John, thirteen. Yeah, you nailed it. All right, you win. You what? get to go first.
1: <laughs> hey, you're full
2: of it. Um I'm wait, do I get it was to...
1: 13. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, I'll i
4: am happy to go first.
1: Uh, you guys, which... wait, wait, wait. Just to point out, Alex also exactly guessed John's number on the next film school podcast. Did you guys pre-plan this and make it look impromptu on the we
2: podcast? We may have, so... I mean, did you notice us typing in between shows? Or, <laughs> yeah. We may have been just colluding this whole just time. Just don't look at the chat.
4: Um, okay, so I just I do want to remind everybody listening that this is a bold prediction because if I came on here and I said some silly nonsense prediction you know you wouldn't like that um so here's my here's my first bold prediction it's a little little niche but um i think it is bold emmanuel quickly recently drafted by the new york knicks will be in the top six i toyed around with that number i thought about going as high as five i originally had it at eight i'm like eight isn't bold seven's a little bold six is definitely bold top six in minutes played um by the end of this year um, my rationale is a, a fewfold. one I think the next gonna be bad this year <laughs> I, sorry um, and I think uh, even even the great Tom Thibodeau is not above um, playing younger players at the end of a season in which um, you know things maybe do not do not go as as expected um, number two Um, I think the kid offers a skill set that they really need and they arguably need more than anything, which is shooting and a little bit of ball movement and defense, by the way. Yes, defense also. Um, I think his he could also fit into a lot of lineups, So there's some positional flexibility there. I think they are going to make a trade or two before the trade deadline. That'll free up some minutes. And perhaps most importantly, this regime just picked this kid. Um, so it's not like it's carryover from anywhere else. We know they like him. We know they're invested on him in, in him. We know that he has the backing of the coaching staff, um, in terms of like, who is going to get more minutes than him, you know, other than, other than our, and, and there's also the COVID possibility. So if I get lucky and some other guy, well, this is probably putting it the wrong way. Um, but if he stays <laughs> healthy all year, let me say that if he stays healthy all year, that's another bonus. Um, and there's quite frankly, nobody on the team that I feel that strongly is going to get a ton of minutes other than RJ Randall for as long as he's here. Um, even like Mitch, like I'm, I'm not comfortable sitting here and be like, yeah, 100% Mitchell Robinson is going to play more minutes than Emmanuel quickly this year. Like, you know,
2: I, I'll just ask for a quick clarification. Sure. When you say minutes. Are you saying total minutes, total minutes, but not not minutes per game?
4: yeah not minutes per um well actually no because if I'm if I'm smart if I'm smart I'll say minutes per game because that accounts for all the DMPs he might get early in the season if he's out
2: of the rotation is it too late to amend I mean I was also going to say minutes per game would also that would mean that you think that he's going to get tons of minutes regardless of the injury situation or COVID situation or anything else like like he I'm could what, literally I'm, just hmm. end up top six just because of other players getting injured or something.
4: I, my my original intention was to say total minutes. Yeah. But okay. if he's at, that's going to be really tough if he's out of the rotation early on. But part of this prediction is that I think within a few weeks of the season, if not from the very start, I think he's going to be in the rotation. <laughs> um, Screw it. Say both minutes per game and minutes. Ooh. I think I, I just, I think they're invested in him. I think they like him. And I think he is the type of guy that they, you know, want to try to build around. That's All right.
2: Good. Uh Jeremy, I need your rebuttal. You you kind of tore Macri a new one in the Nick's film school episode. So I'm looking forward to more of this heat coming here.
3: All right. Well, I guess do I tear a, a new one for John or do a I continue new tearing one. the yeah, old okay he's
2: gonna have at least three three places where the sun don't shine by the time this is over. Hold on.
3: I got three a towel last
4: time. I'll have to get some <laughs> now. <laughs>
3: um yeah, I that is bold just because of the fact that Tibbs does, as I mentioned in the last pod, he historically doesn't play rookies very frequently. If he forces his way through the rotation, then that's a great sign, especially for the Knicks that he's able to do that. I could see them getting a lot of burn out of Burks, um, out of um, Bullock, out of really Rivers. I think there are enough guys there, especially with, if you throw in Desperate Juniors as we talked about, if they try to raise his value, the fact that it is a contract year for Frankie Lachina. So they do want to see what he has in store. Um, you know, I mean, I don't see Jacob Evans necessarily being here long-term or, or even supplanting him in the, in the rotation, but I think there are enough guys where quickly minutes are going to take a hit. And they basically look at it as like, this is just year one for him where he's not so much of a redshirt because he will get time to play, but just more the idea of we've got him for an, a three years after that there'll be playing time to open up at some point in, you know, after the trade deadline in late March and you can kind of go from there. So um, I, I would love to see him do it because the fact that it would show that they're not only committed to the youth movement, but they're also not afraid to just throw guys in and baptize them by fire. But I, uh, I don't know. It's um, it'll be uh, interesting to see.
1: Jeremy, I love your uh, cat lurking in the background. Who's clearly a big Emmanuel Quickly fan, and is she's a huge Quigley, Emmanuel Quickly fan? Just yeah, her tail up in protest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I know. Yeah. yeah, well. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was
3: going to say quickly. I think
1: I, I think this might be, and this isn't this isn't a negative because I think there's a, a chance it happens. I think this might be the single boldest prediction out of any of our predictions. because oh, wow. of Jeremy's yeah. point, just how deep the guard spot is, and I also like. I would argue there's a scenario where, I mean, given obviously Emmanuel Quickly was. Very proficient last year, he won SEC Player of the Year. There was a point as a freshman where, like, he didn't look like he was going to be an NBA player. Like, yeah. I think it's feasible that starting on day one, someone like Jared Harper is more ready to play than Emmanuel quickly in the NBA. Someone like Miles Powell, who it seems like will start in the G League, but if you ask me right now, who I would want to put into like a key minutes of an NBA game, I would guess Miles Powell is more prepared for that. Um, but I think the argument for it is uh, we had a PD web on who is a draft expert and someone who like you, John actually like talks to people and talks to people in and around the Kentucky program. And what he said on our podcast was um, Emmanuel quickly is a Kawhi level Kawhi Leonard. I've, made, I've done that four times now Kawhi Leonard level worker. <laughs> and he, he will come in and from day one, be in the top 10% of the NBA in, in terms of how much time, He's putting into his game. I think that works for Tibbs in in that Tibbs will respect that and be encouraged to play him because of that. And inherently, obviously he will just get a lot better as the season goes on. Presumably when they trade some of these guys, when the rotation clears up a little bit, I I would not be shocked if he's playing 20 to 25 minutes per game through the second half of the year, whether that translates into him getting into the top six in minutes. I think that's, I think that's going to be really tough. I think it's contingent on him being in the rotation from day one, but I could see it by the end of the year. I think, I, I don't think it's a bold prediction to say post all-star break, he will be in the top six to seven in minutes.
4: And, and just very quickly before you go, Alex, I, I always, when you say something like that, Gavin, about like the work ethic, it always brings me back to that question when coaches say, we're not going to give away minutes here, right? Which Tibbs has already said, you're going to earn your time. What does that mean? Is it the best players? Is it the guys who do the most work behind the scenes and like do, like cross every T, dot every I in terms of what the coaches are saying? And what happens when those two things are, are, are different, right? When is it maybe Emmanuel quickly is the sixth best player of the team, the seventh most player of the team, but he's working the hardest. He's doing the most stuff on the season. I don't know. I'm curious to see how that, how that all plays out.
2: Yeah. I just think ultimately they have so many mouths to feed as far as young guys. Like if they hold on to Evans and Spellman, I think they have 10 rookie contract players on the team right now, which is kind of crazy. Um, You know, so that that's a lot of that's a lot of minutes to try to distribute amongst young guys. And like, my main thing with quickly is, and and, you know, this is something we took on a a mailbag question the other day, where it was like, rank who's most likely to be with the Knicks in two years, and it was like, quickly, Knox, DSJ, uh, Frank, and uh, Powell, I think. Yeah. And I was like, quickly is easily the answer for most likely to be around because he's on a four-year rookie deal and you know, the front office and the coaching staff, presumably all really believe in him. And, you know, I think for that reason, though, like the front office might realize like, hey, quickly, he's going to be here for a minute. Like if he's busting his ass in practice and, you know, making people try to be better, um, you know, we'll reward him with some playing time. But we also we have to get Dennis Smith Jr. out there for some. We have to get Frank out there for some. We have to get Knox out there for some because we have to see what they have you know and and we can't let their rookie contrast expire not knowing what we have in them and that's the situation particularly with frank and dsj that you're in and even with mitch to a degree where like and not the mitch not the mitch's playing time affects um quickly in one bit but you know unless you're gonna play quickly at center but whatever um but like you know mitch you need to know too, because you're going to probably have to give him his extension next summer. Um, as Jeremy's <laughs> written to, to uh, choruses of booze before, you know, the Knicks are going to have to make a decision on him sooner than later because he needs to become either a restricted free agent next summer, or if they pick up that fourth year option, he's now on like his sixth agent. That would probably say, Hey, they're trying to screw you over by, you know, limiting your earning potential. And then he becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2022 and probably just bolts to whoever gives him a contract. Um, so yeah, I uh, I, I don't know in general how I feel about the quickly thing. I do think it's pretty bold to say top six. I think even if you said top eight, that could be which you said you didn't think would be that hot. I think that could be considered a somewhat hot take. Um, the I mean, one he thing might that not be I,
4: top 12. I mean, <laughs> you
2: know? yeah, I mean, that's that's the realistic part of it, is it might not even be top 12. So I, I do think though, I mean, I agree with your overall assessment that he definitely has the backing of the front office. And I think that he's going to be a Tibbs type of player. The question is just, is he going to do enough to separate himself from the pack? Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And the improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. It comes in 18 amazing flavors. That include six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And that goes with the 12 original flavors that you already loved, such as German chocolate, mint brownie, salted caramel, toffee almond, and peanut butter brownie. All Bilt Bars are covered in 100% natural chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew. No protein bar is going to give you an experience more akin to a candy bar than Bilt Bar. But the good news is, is that Built Bar does not give you all the calories and guilt that comes with eating say a Snickers bar, you can eat it and rest assured because built bars are good for you. They are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. So they're perfect for if you need that protein punch before or after a workout, or if you just want something to sort of hold you over in the middle of the day and give you that, you know, little bit of protein that you need to get through the day. For example, the peanut butter bar has 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, five grams of sugar, and five grams of net carbs. And the new Cherry Barcia Bar has 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. If you're interested in picking up some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com.
3: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: All right, guys, we're going to get back to the bold predictions in just a second, but I wanted to remind you, this is not the last episode in this series uh, we did one on Knicks Film School, so please go check it out on their feed. But we also have a second episode with our final bold predictions coming up next time on Locked on Knicks. In addition to that, we are recording a lot of great player capsules. Some of them have already been banked. We already got one with Terry of New York Knicks, Terry and Trey. That's really, really exciting. There's a big Mitchell Robinson discussion in it, who wasn't even the player we were supposed to be talking about. But really good stuff on Nerlens Noel and Austin Rivers in particular. And then we have a bunch of your other favorite Knicks content creators coming on and sharing some thoughts on the guys that they're most interested on next year's roster. All that and more coming up soon on Locked on
2: Knicks. Be sure to stay tuned and be sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it. Um, all right. Uh, I'm not going to do another numbers thing. I'll just – in the Wait, If no, we like- go
4: snake draft,
2: then it was – because it was Gavin, Jeremy,
4: you, then me last episode, and I started us off this episode, so it,
2: it should really just go to you next. Oh, so it should be me now. All right, yeah. that's solid logic. I didn't realize that we had that sort of... This is know, why you write it down. This synchronization is why coming. Down. Yeah, and Macri's...
1: Is a big one for John.
2: We, we revealed this on the... the la- or Macri outed himself on the last pod that we have all this digitally recorded in a Twitter DM, all of our takes, but he's been writing them all down on a piece of paper as well, just so he can check us at the end of the season.
3: I think John just works for big paper.
2: Yeah. Thunder <laughs> Mifflin. <Exactly. laughs> Oh, man. All right. That's another episode where we figure out what office character John is. Um, but for now. Uh, all right. I'll get on to my number two prediction. I, I don't know if I, this is going to be that hot to people that listen to Locked on Knicks consistently because I feel like I've been sort of hinting at this for a while. But I guess the way that I'm going to put this is going to be pretty hot. So my take is Kevin Knox finally treated as a four, you know, as a power forward not only finds himself a better offensive role, but also proves to be above average on defense at the four spot, which I think the part that's hot about that is saying that Kevin Knox will be an above average defender when I think it could be pretty agreed upon that through the first two years of his career, he's been arguably one of the bottom 10 overall defenders in the league, um, depending on how you look at it. But my justification for this is like, we've seen flashes of this before, right? Like, and, and so I don't think it's that crazy to think that Knox can reach a point where he could put on enough strength to bang with, you know, guys down, down low, if need be. He can, you know, have the athleticism and length and timing to help with, you know, help blocks down low, which he already does. Like he actually, I looked up a few of his better defensive games, like last year, and he occasionally shows great timing, you know, on blocks and stuff. He has a good wingspan. Like, I think he's, he's six, nine. And I think, I think his wingspan is seven foot uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, he's got a plus wingspan on a six, nine frame, which is enough to, you know, be able to reach pretty much anything he wants. And I, I think that being put in a position where, so let's put it this way, like in the way that Knox has been treated so far, he has to defend all the way out to per- to the perimeter, most often at the perimeter, and then worry about everything from the perimeter in. And like if you narrow his scope to then guarding fours, where he's going to have a decent amount of time where he's going to be spent inside, and mostly just patrolling what's going on in the inside of, you know, inside the three-point line, rather than all the way out to it and outside of it, I think it'll make the the game slow down for him a little bit. And he also has shown really good instincts like with using that length as far as poking the ball away from bigger players, you know, getting under their arm and getting the ball knocked loose. Uh, He's shown good instincts, I think, as far as, you know, offering help blocks and stuff like that. And so I think that he's going to reach a point like where he probably still won't be, I wouldn't even say a top half of the league. Well, no, I'm saying above average. So I guess he's going to be like very slightly, maybe like a 60th percentile defender in the nba if he can move to a a full-time four so that's that's my super hot take but i'll let whoever wants to sick me on that one first go ahead
1: yeah i i mean i've we i i didn't want to go first because we've sort of debated this a little bit on the podcast before to me it's all all about processing speed can he think the game thinker than he has faster jesus and then he has the two previous years (laughs) (laughs) i'm really (laughs) i'm screwing up this one um and I think, again, the argument for it is that he's arguably the worst developmental staff in the league the last two years, now presumably has an upper echelon developmental staff. Um, and it gets into like probably a question that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. How much can you change how quickly someone thinks the game of basketball? And there are all these drills. I remember like Steph Curry does like all this insane hand eye coordination stuff to work on those types of things to have quicker reflexes. And to your point, Alex, in spurts, he did. Show that, and the question is, did he just recognize something on those specific plays, or was it something that is always down there? And if he can just find it consistently, he can do it. But to me, I mean, with someone with his frame and his athletic ability—not that he is the quickest speed in the world—but he does, to your point, have some tools defensively. It's it's all it's all about the mental game. Can he get there? Um, Tibbs, you would presume, would be the coach to do it. I I don't think he, I think he's much better than he has been. I think he gets to a point defensively where he's quote unquote playable. On a competent team, I don't think he gets to above average, personally.
4: Um, I'll just chime in. I think, you know, he went from a zeroth percentile. Is that a word? Uh, defender as a rookie to like 15th to 20th percentile defender last year. Even that might be a bit generous. But he was at 0.7 uh, steals for 36 and 0.9 blocks for 36. And again, that was playing a lot of time at the, at the three. So as you say, Alex, if you move him to the four, not hard to, I don't think it's hard to see him, especially guarding maybe some slower players getting to, you know, a steal and a block for 36 minutes. Um, Yeah. I I don't know if I go above average, but I like to take, I like to take.
3: I agree. I would say that, you know, I'm really excited to see him in transition. I think that that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, He's also got this one spot that seems to be, I think it's the above the break on the strong side three, where he just, always seems to clean up. And when I say always, it's much more comparative to anywhere else than just in a vacuum. Uh, He's fine in a vacuum and I'd like to see him branch out. And you saw Tibbs saying like, what, he said something about how he, the, the good shots he takes, he makes something like that. Yeah. Where that to me says like, okay, find the spots on the floor that you do really well in. And if you can spot up there, that's also something that can help you. So using that size at the four, that should definitely benefit him. How it works out with Toppin, possibly with Randall to be determined. But I think from a mismatch uh, point of view, that would be a great place for him to start. And um, it's a little bold, but I, I'll get behind it because he can't go that much lower than he is right now.
0: In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to alternate routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+.
2: The wait is almost over. The 2020-21 NBA season is almost here, and the Locked On NBA podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning December 14th. Get previews of every team, division by division, from all 30 of our locked on local experts, including us. Plus waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on every division from rejecting the screen. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get podcasts. Well, Jeremy, let's uh, you know, if we're going in this reverse snake order, that means we can get behind your next take right now. So what's your what's your second bold prediction
3: out of three here? My second bold prediction is that I believe the Knicks will trade at least six players from now until the trade deadline. That's wow. like that's
2: wicked spicy, dude. Like, that yeah. is so. The idea
3: behind this is, you know, I mean, it, it features something like um, Jacob Evans. Maybe there's a way they could find a deal for him or Braz Dacus, you know, a couple minor things. But you know, you look at this team and you see the fact that you do have. Randall who I'm sure they'd love to get his four million dollars in guaranteed money off the books for 2021 2022 even if it's not a huge class that's coming in. Um, you've got Alec Burks who has been traded twice the last two years. Uh, he's gotten some second round picks before, so that's pretty nice. Dennis but Jr. they're trying to pump up his value. there's something there. who knows maybe there's something with Nerlens Noel. They, if they if he explodes to the point where they say we can get something out of him, that's you know a high second round pick. I'm a little dubious that they'll want to do that, but that's an option. Certainly um, maybe Peyton, if they can find some sort of better floor general, but something tells me that obviously he has the no trade protection, but if he wanted to move to a winning team, certainly possible. Or Reggie Bullock, even Austin rivers. I think that there are enough guys on the roster where you could potentially move the pieces around and take something back and then give the younger guys a chance for later on um, where it could work out or, you know, even if it's making room for Michael Kid Gilchrist, who knows what it could be. So I think six is a lot for sure. That's why I have it as a bold prediction, but it, there are enough low uh, cost veterans and players in contract years where you could make some spice happen and something bigger involving a few names. And because, you know, it's not just trading six players away. You'd also be getting six players back in this case.
2: Yeah, that's a... Uh... That is spicy. I mean, I, I, you did a good job justifying it, but it's still, I think the big thing that stands out for me with this is that we always imagine that there, that this can be the case. And maybe there was something to be said for like, in some past years, it could have been the case if the Knicks had just like lowered their standards or whatever, but it almost never ends up happening that way. Like last year getting the first round pick for Marcus Morris felt like something worth raising a banner for because the (laughs) Knicks like literally never make that slam dunk trade that you figure they should make. But I mean, I will say with regards to like how they've been operating so far, I could maybe see them wheeling and dealing to this level that you're talking about, because I I mean, again, it was almost like unfathomable, but the Knicks literally like, so it starts on draft night, which ultimately, whether you think that they, played the situation properly or not they literally turned um picks 27 and 38 into picks what was it 25 and thirty three? 25 and
4: 33 yeah.
2: yeah so i mean they managed to move up like eight cumulative draft spots or seven cumulative whatever math uh a number of draft spots just by virtue of like helping one team and then you know making a deal with another to get an even better deal out of it so like they've shown that savvy there was the ed davis trade which jeremy i know wasn't how you exactly envisioned it in your brain when you wrote about how you wanted them to trade for uh uh, mike conley and all that stuff to really save the jazz from tax hell and get off of randall and everything else but ultimately they took ed davis on for a couple second round picks and then shipped him out to get back another second round pick and two guys on rookie contracts which was pretty solid um so they've definitely shown you know that they're really they're fine with Being in a, I I hate to put it this way, because I've always ripped like, uh, I've always ripped front offices like Maury or, or Hinky or whatever that used to just treat players like objects. But they're sort of in that mode where they're like, players are assets right now to be moved to be used how we need them to be, you know, done, and to accomplish our goals that we're trying to do. And, you know, ultimately, it is just a business. Like, I, I do think that some players maybe get, if you're too cavalier about it, get a little disenfranchised by that but as long as you do it properly and you're honest and upfront with players then it's fine which hopefully that's where Leon Rose comes in but yeah I could potentially see six guys on the move I just don't know I don't know if I'm ready to fully open my arms and accept that into my life because I feel like it's just going to hurt me <laughs> uh, if I do so yeah can I just
4: point out that I was texting with JB like not 10 minutes before we we hopped on to to do the uh first episode of this and i we were going back and forth about whether it would be be possible to um, execute one uh, two for one deal in which we would send because we were trying to figure out the roster situation obviously they have too many guys right now Um, like would they be able to find a deal within the first two three four weeks of the regular season where they sent two players out and one player one player back and like you know, he was making the point that like rosters are full, you know, teams are already up against, you know, certain salary, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I don't think you're, I, I again, I like where your head is at, Jeremy. I just wonder how, how many other teams not will want to cooperate, but will have the practical ability to cooperate, you know? And I know, you know, every, every team's cap situation as well as anyone. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting, but yeah, yeah, worth keeping an eye on.
1: I was going to say, it's a convoluted analogy, but I feel like it's analogous to my fantasy football team right now, where for me to have missed the playoffs this weekend, I needed to lose and then three other teams needed to lose. And and all that looks like it's going to happen and I will miss the playoffs. And I think this is, <laughs> I think, which is very painful for me, but I, is that a great team? But I think this is, this is somewhat similar in that. I think six is, is the extreme. That, that's the upper echelon. There's no way they're trading seven guys. Six is the highest number I can come up with. And that's, I, I'm still trying to, sort of put the pieces together, but I I think you're assuming Randall gets dealt. You're assuming at least one of Frank and DSJ gets dealt. And then I've posited uh, this on Locked On Knicks before. I could see a scenario where it was sort of like, um, actually the trade that Alec Burks was involved in last deadline, where he got sent from Golden State to Philly, And Philly picked up two useful players. I'm trying to, oh, it was Glenn Robinson was the other one. Um, And maybe you can package Burks and Noel if both are having really good seasons for a late first round pick because both those guys are useful players on a playoff rotation. And if you look at a top heavy contender, obviously there are are cap implications that I am failing to consider um, and, and that might make it hard to do. But I could see a scenario where a contender looks at that and say, both these guys can play minutes for us in the playoffs. That's two guys. But even with all that, I'm only getting to five. So I just think it's very hard. I could see it happening. I think it would require, to your point, also some moves on the margins.
3: Yeah, I'd say when I say at least six. After that, I'm thinking like seven. Definitely not more than that. Um, but the idea of if there are those margin moves, the Knicks fortunately don't have to worry about matching salary quite like other teams might. But if they get into the position where they do have to worry about that, um, it could be you know three trades that suddenly gut six guys, and or you know if one of them gets traded before the end of the, before the uh, year starts, then it's only five that's left, you know? So again, I think it is certainly bold. That's it wouldn't be a bold predictions podcast without a, a bold prediction. Uh, I see it in reality being closer to three or four, but you know, why not? All
2: right. Let's, I just want to do one more thing before we move to Gavin saying, do you think that there's for sure, do you think that there's going to be a deal prior to the season starting so that they can get to the, proper number of guaranteed contracts, or do you think that they're going to end up having to cut somebody?
3: It all depends on roster spots uh, around the league. If another mm-hmm. team finds interest in Dacus then maybe they're willing to cut someone. Um, maybe the Knicks can do a two for one situation where if they traded Evans and Dacus and got one player back, maybe they would even cut that player. If they're on a non-guaranteed deal, there's enough. Um, there's enough finagling that they can do where they can bring in kid Gilchrist on minimum contract which i think i mean i certainly suspect that they could do uh just based on the history and the relationships that are with the team so there there are enough margin moves that that they could do it and they could accomplish it without necessarily having to cut a player's salary and um incur some sort of dead cap next year
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't even know if they would have to incur dead cap next year because there's plenty of guys that are just on one-year deals that they could just kind of that too yeah um Anyway, Gavin, uh, I think it's, that makes it your turn. The snake draft has made its way back to you to use a, uh, you know, a fantasy football thing again. So what is your bold prediction? This the second overall, again, a reminder that if you haven't already check out the next film school podcast to get our first bold predictions for this, Gavin, what is your second?
1: Yeah, I, this might be the least bold of my three. I don't know. You you guys tell me if you disagree, but I, th- I think you guys might all agree that this is fairly feasible and it is that uh, Frank Nilekina gets traded and is part of a rotation for a playoff team. I was thinking when I was first writing it um, that he will be part of a rotation for either a second round team or a conference finals team. But that's it's I don't know that that would really be going out on a limb and I wasn't ready to do that. So I think he will be in the rotation for a playoff team this year. Um, I was initially of the opinion that like I, I still believe on paper if he can shoot, he's in a lot of ways like a pretty ideal player. For Tom Thibodeau, but I just reading the tea leaves, and it seems like anytime we have someone on who is some level of sourcing, they are never, ever confident that Frank is part of the future. I, I know, John, you were clarifying last episode that for you, those are more inclinations you're feeling based on, on sourcing versus hard reporting. And that's fair, but it it does seem like that's a universal sentiment that Frank is not necessarily long for this Knicks world. And I ultimately believe like if for years and years and years, a team is looking to trade someone and, and looking for a reason not to keep someone, they're going to find it. And Frank has never been a priority for the Knicks. So at the end of the day, he gets traded. Um, the flip side of that is um, I think we're, we're all fairly smart people and we, we all agree. And a lot of other people smarter than us agree. There's some obvious utility for Frank in the NBA. And that's why I've always been surprised when we've heard time and time again, the asking price has been at points, maybe last offseason was, was the main one, just the second round pick that no one in the league would bite on that. I do think he shows enough this year that some team in the league, if that is still the asking price or it's somewhere in that range, there is a team that's willing to bite on that because he just has obvious playoff utility, a guy who Alex, you cited this often. Um, statistically, they only played twice, a so limited number of minutes, but was maybe the best defender in the league against Luka Doncic last year. If that guy can hit 35% of his threes, be a ball mover. And to me, maybe the most important development of his game last year was that he showed more juice off the dribble. If, if you put him in an offense with a whole lot of shooting and real threats he can, I I think he can beat a closeout. If he's taken a step forward from last year, he can beat a closeout, even against good defenders, even in key minutes. And that type of guy has obvious utility to me on a playoff team. I don't think it's a starter on a playoff team. I don't think he's playing 30 minutes on a playoff team. I think he is in the rotation for a playoff team though by the end of the season.
2: Yeah, Uh, well, this is where we uh, divorce live on air, right? (laughs) Because I predicted in the last episode, I
1: didn't, I blocked it out. Yeah,
2: this is, uh, you know, because in the last episode, I predicted that Frank was going to break the Charlie Ward curse. So I will refuse to even acknowledge the presence of this, this horrid take. And uh, Macri, I'll throw it to you because you notoriously despise Frank and want him off the team immediately oh, cool. yeah um
4: <laughs> I'm it's you know what everything i've said about frank over the last several months has, has really just been my own defense mechanism to prepare me for what i you know just in my gut feeling it's not really even based on anything it's just what i in my gut feeling what i think is is coming um and people think i'm i don't mean it when i say i hope i'm wrong i hope i'm wrong i there's there's a reason his his signed picture is the only piece of nick's memorabilia i have in my house that's hanging up on a wall that um from uh, of the current team i have a lot of old, old shit um sorry i don't know if i curse on this podcast uh you can edit that out um, a little bit <laughs> i just so here's my thought process if if a team if a playoff team is trading for him that means he has shown himself to be good enough to play on a playoff team which means he's hitting his shots um and he looks like a a pro he looks like a guy that you that any team would want um at which point the knicks would look at him and say well wait a minute we have this guy's restricted rights um and yes there's the massive cap hold but that gets really into the weeds of like where they are with his representation and like again like i referenced on the the um knicks film school part of the show um You know, does Frank want to be here? Does Frank want to be a utility player, a jack of all trades, or does he want to give it a shot as a point guard somewhere else? It's like these are things that we can't know. Um, I will say this if I think he gets, I think if he gets traded, I think there's a better than 50 50 shot that it's to a playoff team and that. Like if a play here's the thing: if he gets traded, there's like a 60% chance that it's to a playoff team. Because guess what? 20 out of the 30 teams
1: make the playoffs because it's 10 teams in each league now. And the Knicks are not one of them. So the Knicks are not one of them, so
4: (laughs) the odds even go up. And that's one. And two, a, a playoff team isn't trading for him if they're not gonna play him in the playoffs, right? So from that perspective, really, your take is that you think he's gonna get traded, which you know. I've intimated, I think is, is probably going to happen, but I, I don't know that I, I also, you know, I'm kind of backing off that because I thought it would have happened by now. If I'm being completely honest, I'm, I'm, I, I am wrong. I am I am wrong on what I thought would happen. Um, So who knows, but no, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's nuts at all.
3: I'm wondering if he does get traded to a playoff team, is it to be the role he wants or to be the role that he's currently in? Because there'd be something almost ironic about him being traded to a better situation, but that team also envisions him as the same exact player that he currently is. Um, I don't think it's nuts either. Um, again, it's just, it's a matter of a commitment. The, the money probably isn't a huge issue, um, because the years wise you can sign him to a long-term contract and you can always trade him because he's not going to be very expensive. It's just, is he worth that amount? Is he going to be worth more at the amount that he's probably going to play? Um, and he's just, for a good team, he would not really be starting over seven or eight guys. Um, and I don't know how many teams really need a backup point guard uh, that, that is also in line for a new contract. And if he plays well on a winning team, that only drives his price up even more. So um, I'll keep it sweet. I'll keep it brief. I, I'm with you, Gavin. I could see it. I could see it happening.
1: Yeah, I think, I think to John's point, the bolder iteration of my prediction would be that he plays closing minutes. For a playoff team, which I guess all men, yeah. know, I, I don't think, I can't see consistently. I could see a situation where he's doing, I mean, there are teams like Portland teams, I guess Dallas sort of solved it with getting Josh Richardson, but you go up and down the league, which is maybe the conversation for another day. There there are teams where the best version of Frank would, I, I don't I don't want to say would be one of their five best players, but situationally could close games for them. Well, Lugens Dort closed games for Oklahoma
4: City and they right. were a playoff yeah. team in a, in a dog fight. And Frank is I want to be very clear, Frank is not the caliber of the like that dude stuck with James Effing Harden, which I know Frank has done at times, but he, like we're not there yet with Frank's defense. I'm sorry, we're just we're, we're not. And I love the kid. Um, but if the shot comes around, which Dort, you know, got time despite the fact that his shot was completely unreliable, it is it's not insane at all. That we we've said for for a while now, the people who are willing to at least be honest about their love of Frank. Can he be the fifth guy on a really good team? But that has real value. That has real value. It's not expensive. So you know, yeah,
2: we'll see. All right. Alex, yeah. that's
3: a,
4: that's a
2: good
1: place to wrap up.
2: I think that is where we're going to wrap up this first of the two parts of the locked on Knicks part of this episode. Uh, I'm going to give your bona fides for you guys. So uh, follow Nick school on Twitter at Nick school. That's the Nick's film school newsletter also it is run by the inimitable JB who tweets out like a million different aggregated things every day he's a robot I don't know how he does it uh he's Jonathan Macri at JC Macri NBA he's Jeremy Cohen at the coincidence on Twitter and uh yeah you know just keep your ear to the ground we'll be back in one more day for the final part of this crossover again if you haven't already check out the first part on the Knicks film school podcast this is the second part One more part come tomorrow where we finish off our bold predictions for the 2020 to 21 mix season.
3: Hey Prime members.